Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Friday here on Ausbiz. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon with the call. As usual, uh, 10 stocks suggested by you. I chuck in a stock of the day. I put them to our, our expert panel for their adjudication. All happens in 60 minutes. It's a lot of fun, very informative. And our panels are always spectacular. This one is no different. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Uh, Claude, welcome. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me, David. Good to see you too. And Luke Winchester from uh, Merriweather Capital in Newcastle, the the microcab guru. He even uh, uh, has a lot of our viewers asking specific questions to him at the moment. We've got a few. Mate, good to see you on this Friday. Thanks, Koshi. Yeah, no, good. Uh, a good few microcaps to discuss. So, yeah. Um, yeah, can't wait to get into it. Uh, I know. Well, first first half of uh, the call today, we'll be taking a look at Stealth Global, Spirit Technology, uh, Arizona Lithium, Reversum and Adore Beauty. But uh, let's go to the other extreme of the microcap for uh, for stock of the day. thought we'd take a look at uh, REA Group uh, after their reporting a bumper 37% increase in half-year revenues. More to come as 2022 promises to be another big year for the online property group. Shareholders will get a very healthy 75 cent per share dividend despite management expecting an increase in operating costs. Uh, Company also targeting full-year positive operating uh, revenues um, and uh, also including mortgage choice in in their armory as well. Um, stocks down a touch today. Um, came out on the day that News Corp um, uh, reported pretty decent uh, results as well. Uh, Claude, what do you think of REA's result um, in these COVID times? Property has been on a tear, has been hot. I suppose it's been a beneficiary. Uh, yeah, I guess it has been. And uh, I thought the result was uh, actually really quite strong. And I was a little bit surprised to see that the stock didn't move. Perhaps, like, mm. I thought it might be up a little bit on the result, to be quite honest, even though this is uh, a much larger company than I usually invest in myself. I don't usually do that. I don't invest in a mega cap like this one, but it is a high quality uh, blue chip business that has a identifiable moat that should be durable for many years. And it um, has presented what I understand to be uh, quite strong results. Even I think I thought it was a, a touch above what the, uh, analysts were expecting. So usually for a large company like this, I would have actually thought to see it uh, not sharp, but perhaps, you know, uh, it is being, uh, it's fighting against the fact that I guess growth stocks and, and high multiple growth stocks have really been coming down a lot lately due to inflation fears. So, you know, on the one hand, you have great strong underlying performance. At, um, you know, from what I've read so far of this result, mm. I haven't obviously had a long time to analyze it, but uh, I think it looks really strong. This has this has been a strong business for many years. This was another strong result. 
the underlying business seems very healthy, seems to be going very well. Um, but of course, share prices will go a little bit too far to the upside and then too far to the downside. So maybe what we're you know seeing now, the bigger picture is that perhaps the share price got a little bit ahead of itself and now its fundamentals might have some uh, work to do just to catch up um, yeah. to bring the uh, share price back up. Would, would you be a buyer at these levels? Um, so obviously for me, I prefer a high risk reward small caps. But yeah, look, I do actually think that um, REA Group is probably something reasonable to buy in a diversified um, blue chip yep. oriented portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Luke, what do you reckon? See, I'm, my fear of this was the property market was too hot. They make their money not only just on people listing their property, but paying a premium for the position they get and the length of time that they have on the platform, which I, I, I thought, gee, everyone's flogging their property pretty easily. Why would you pay a premium? And the listings won't be there on for a while. So, so it actually did a whole lot better than I thought. Yeah, look, Koshi, I agree. And that was my fear with REA sort of last time I looked at it a few months ago. I sort of questioned where's the growth in the business? Because yeah. you outline those drivers, it's it's listings growth and, and sort of the, the additional revenue they can generate by shifting people to what they call their premier mm. options. And it, it seemed like listings growth, you know, we, we'd had a hot market and maybe we would be in that sort of, you know, five to 10% listings growth. Um, it looked like REA as a business had gotten pretty close to tapping out that premier conversion as well. That was up around like 85, 90%. And then they come out with this result and listings growth is obviously 17%, um, which I think is above normal and, and, and maybe yeah. where you see a bit of apprehension from the share price. People expecting this could be a little bit of an over-earning sort of report. Uh, but fair play to the business. That, that's out mm -hmm. of their control. What is in their control? is they then generated even more of that conversion to premier, just as you think maybe that's starting to top out. Um, so you go from 17% listings growth to 25% organic growth as you generate that additional extra. Always been a brilliant business at managing the cost base, so you saw leverage all the way through to earnings. Valuation's the only thing you can sort of point to as a, as a potential negative or, or you know um, something that sort of goes against just you know owning this stock or buying this stock outright. Um, it's, it's right up there, 55 times earnings. And like I said, there's a chance that those earnings could be a little bit elevated given the, the macro we're in with housing and, and, and does that start to just cool down a little bit? Um, I, I probably agree with Claude though, for the right investor, and, and this isn't me or, or Claude, we both outline that, we, we focus more on that smaller end of the market. But if you're someone who just wants a sleep at night portfolio, like REA, and, and I think even being down a little bit today, Claude touched on it perfectly there. It's just the fundamentals backfilling yep. where that price has gone, probably post-COVID. So I think it's a buy as well for the right person who understands yep. that it, it, it probably won't give you, you know, 35, 40, 50% a year. Did that coming out of COVID? Now it maybe consolidates to a more steady income, but it's such a quality business. Yep. I, I think you can definitely own it for the longer okay. term. Uh, I love the way how you two do that because, you know, it's not in your wheelhouse but you can understand everyone, every investor has a different wheelhouse. So uh, mm. for a blue chip, good sort of self-managed super fund, low risk, maybe it's appropriate for it. So it's good to yep. distinguish that. All right, let's go to the other extreme now. And uh, Luke, a viewer wants a view on Stealth Global Holdings. Um, now it's, it's in um, sort of, it's just a supplier of safety equipment, uh, clothing, tools to business, is that? Yeah, so it's a distributor of, um, you know, um, 
safety equipment, um, workwear, tools, yes. things like that for um, based for, in for Perth. Heavy, based over in Perth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So distribution business, you know, these businesses are really ones about scale. You, you usually have a pretty high fixed cost base to the business, um, very low margin, but you're looking to do a lot of revenue. And, and you know, as you, as you tick over a lot of revenue to a very low margin base, you can still get some good absolute returns. And the, the poster child of, of distribution businesses on the ASX is Dicker Data. That's, that's the example of what a, a good distribution business can look like over many, many years. Most of them aren't that good, and, and Stealth Global probably won't be, um, you know, because it's it's uh, particularly a physical distribution business, whereas Dicadata can move into that digital distribution. But look, 12 mil market cap, 13 mil market cap, it looks like this business is starting to get that scale behind it where it becomes mm. a very serious player in that distribution space. Admittedly, that's been acquisition driven, which is why you haven't seen it entirely in the share price because there's been dilution for shareholders along that way. But they're creeping up towards 100 mil revenue run rate, um, targeting 6% wow. EBITDA margins. So you're talking about sort of a run rate of maybe two times EBITDA. Management have some initiatives to try and grow that to 8% over time. One thing I found very interesting, and this is a business I've sort of had on my watch list for a while, I don't actually own it. They made an, an interesting acquisition a, a few weeks ago of a, um, of a business called United Tools, which is, my best understanding is it's a bit of akin to a net cash to IGAs. So it's not actually a, um, you know, a, a retail business in and of itself but it supplies as a cooperative to, you know, independent locally owned um, tool um, retail outlets. And it was a very interesting acquisition. They only paid $24,000 for it, have an ongoing marketing commitment, but that ongoing marketing commitment was covered by net cash that they acquired. So I found that very interesting. would like to get more details. Um, management have said they're gonna do a video conference actually next Tuesday. So I encourage, uh, I don't actually have the name of the viewer, I encourage, if anyone's interested, tune into that, get a bit more detail around that acquisition because it was a very, it could be very interesting, but I just need to know more about it. Otherwise, this one, well and truly on my watch list, I think it looks really cheap. Um, I just need to see a little bit more of that execution before okay. I jump in. All right, so not at the moment, but on the watch list. Um, yep. Claude, what do you think of Stealth? Uh, well, I think Luke's done a very good job there covering a, a few of the issues. I also noted this sort of strange acquisition uh, that appears to be a, you know, a very, very cheap price. My guess is that the reason for that is that actually the, um, the thing they've acquired loses money after um, you know, all said and done. So that's why it's sort of been almost perhaps given away to them. But I, I don't understand that properly. Um, but what I did note is that, you know, the, to add on to what Luke was saying, um, we've covered why distribution businesses um, can sometimes be successful. I'd like to combine that with the idea that um, at least it makes sense to do a roll-up in a distribution business because sometimes when you're just rolling up businesses, it, it's sort of just multiple arbitrage. You're trying to take advantage of the fact that you can buy a business more cheaply in the private market than what it trades at in the public market. But at least with distribution um, roll-ups, you're actually changing the nature of the business. Because as you can imagine, the quality of distribution network has to do in, in some parts with its size. Um, that basically, you know, there's an additional expense in being able to distribute to a certain area. But then once you have um, that part of the network in place, the more volume you can put over that fixed cost, essentially um, the higher margins you can make. And that's there, as you know, Luke touched on, their specific goal is to increase the margins. At the moment, the reason they're probably so cheap is that uh, you would sort of 
um, you know, they're talking about underlying a bit the margins of this sort of thing. And because of all the acquisitions, it's sort of very uh, difficult to get a true read on their profitability. Um, having said that, you know, I am, I love that we started with this one and I love that this one got uh, written in because this is actually the kind of microcap stock that I think can be interesting. Um, I will basically want to see a little bit more track record for them because uh, one of the disadvantages of uh, being a small distributor is that um, the need to sort of fund inventory and that kind of thing can mean there's a lot of demand on capital. And when you're quite small, that can be sometimes more difficult to uh, satisfy. So um, definitely one to watch. Uh, for me, I guess I would call it a hold, but I have to say it's, yep. it's definitely on the top of my watch list at, at, after okay. looking at it today. And I'll finally close with the fact that at the AGM, um, you know, the chairman said he had extreme confidence in robust financial results into the future. So, you know, if that, right. if that proves to be justified, it'll be good. All right. Watch list for both of you. Um, Phil wants a view, Claude, on Spirit uh, Technology. Uh, Phil's in it, uh, has hit an 18-month low. Uh, revenue's up 14% in the last quarter, says Phil, but it hasn't been able to translate into EBITDA growth. They also didn't mention any cash flows, according to Phil, in the latest update, which may be a red flag that they're burning cash, some pretty attractive multiples. Uh, Phil says, I'm torn between selling and topping up. Uh, Phil, I love the question. Um, Spirit is a tech, uh, a telco, um, internet, cloud solutions, telephony in City, Melbourne, Brisbane and the Gold Coast. Um, what do you reckon of Spirit and Phil's question? Top up or uh, get out? Well, well, to take them in reverse order, I think the question is excellent and it's so awesome that uh, you know viewers are getting into the weeds yep. here and, and really thinking about things. Um, look, I would say that the most important thing is I think he has the right idea that he you need to look lower than the revenue line for this kind of business. Um, now, Spirit Technology is an interesting story. Actually, a few years ago, I was actually a, um, a shareholder of this and liked the stock. But at that stage, it was more focused on building out a fixed wireless um, telecommunications network and a high-speed um, retail telco. And they're actually parts of the business. It's just undergone this massive trans trans transition in the last couple of years where it's actually sold its consumer internet stuff. It's looking to sell that original broadband network that right. I was in, or the wireless network that I was interested in. Meantime, it's made a huge number of um, acquisitions. I won't name them all here, but I guess um, the important thing to remember is that a lot of those acquisitions were done at a share price that was higher than the current share price. So for whatever reason, the Spirit share price really got a bit of a boost um, last year. And as you can see, it got up to about 40 cents or even higher. And the company sort of used this to issue um, in 2020 a fair few shares at various prices, like 32 cents, 33 cents, right. um, 35 cents. Like it just went on and on, right? And um, that capital was used to, to essentially roll up a bunch of what I would call loosely like IT services companies. And... Now, these businesses tend to be a little bit lumpier. So um, because they're more contract-based or project-based, it's not like recurring reliable revenue. And what you've seen in their most recent update, which is probably what's been pushing the share price down more, is that their underlying EBITDA is actually down, which they say you know has to do with uh, basically COVID disrupting some of their business. But I would say that the fact that you know that makes their EBITDA goes down, it sort of shows you that arguably the quality of this business has gone like is not that brilliant right. and so it could be a bumpy road um when things go well earnings might look great 
But to me, this business is not super high quality. Um, so I would say a hold at best. Um, I would not be topping up. And I honestly, I don't hold the stock myself. Okay. Um, what do you reckon, Luke? Yeah, look, I think it's good, Claude's given that background to the business. It's it's one that um, obviously being a micro cap, I've sort of tracked on and off, but never been that close to it and, and never owned it like, like Claude has. Because one of my things I jotted down looking at it was um, I just couldn't see a coherent strategy with the business. As Claude noted, you sort of used to do some retail um, ISP stuff, some fixed wireless, that's now being... Um, spun off, uh, you've moved into cybersecurity. And I just sort of, you know, wondered like, where does this business end up? And, 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 and there may be a coherent strategy there and it just takes time to get to it. But from the outside looking in, it was one of the things I did note. Um, Phil was spot on. The margins is, is the main issue here. And I think that's the weakness in the share price. And um, the, the problem I saw is they're not improving. Like first quarter to second quarter 22 went from 6.5% to 6.2. So the narrative in the presentations is shifting to a more recurring high margin business, mm. but that narrative's not matching the underlying numbers coming through. So for me, look, Phil, I, I, like Claude, I wouldn't top up. I definitely wouldn't top up unless you have conviction in the stock, which I don't think you have just, you know, based on the question you've yep. sent in. Whether you keep holding it, you probably know it a bit better than me, but I think there are concerns there. And go back to something Claude said about stealth, you know, and businesses just rolling up almost for the sake of rolling up. Spirit probably is closer to that end of the spectrum than a genuine, you know, roll up that's getting synergy benefits across everything they're doing. So, um, yeah, not one I would have high conviction in. I'll, I'll okay. probably say hold just because I don't know enough to say a sell. Okay. All right. Um, Luke, Sarah wants a view on Arizona lithium. Yep. There's that word lithium. And of course, uh, it's at a 52-week high, uh, as they all seem to be at the moment. Its projects, though, um, are exploring a, um, lithium projects in the US. Big Sandy, um, Devil's Canyon, Lone Pine. Um, it's almost like um, watching a Western, um, isn't it? Uh, what do you think of Arizona Lithium? Yeah, well, full credit to management. The name uh, pretty much explains the stock <laughs> in two words. It's, it's lithium yep. over in Arizona. Um, it's it's very, very early stage. And, you know, even for me, I, I, I'm not big on, on mining in general, um, let alone these sort of pre-producers. Um, I, I can't even add much, to be honest, um, Koshi. Like, they're, they're such a long way for production. They haven't even done their pre-feasibility study yeah. yet. There could be something there. There may not be. Look, one thing I would say is that the location's interesting. You're very close to Tesla's Gigafactory over there in Nevada, obviously being in Arizona. Um, so that's that's interesting. If I wanted exposure to lithium, I, I would go for a producer, even though I think they are expensive at the minute. I would look at a, um, you know, a Pilbara, an Allchem, even a Mineral Resources, even though you're yeah. primarily iron ore, you get some good lithium exposure. Um, it, it's just not for me, this sort of this sort of speculation. Um, I think Gaurav, who comes on, he talks about yeah. lithium being a very difficult to mine and produce material. So yeah. there's, there's also that sort of risk with something so early stage. Yep. Uh, Claude? I won't add much to that other than to mention that uh, they did raise capital at just like about half the current share price not that long ago. And um, with that was um, options exercisable at 12 cents. So to me, there's probably like, I would say I'm looking at this as a narrative right now. I don't think um, mm. there's a valuation story that I can add to here. And I don't think that's what's driving the share price. There's a narrative, supply and demand, hype or, or fear. And um, there's probably a lot of shares that um, people that have, 
bought shares recently that's sitting in profit. So when it does reverse, when the when the momentum changes, it, it could be quite sudden, but I wouldn't know when that is. But okay. for me, it's definitely not for me. Okay. Uh, Luke, Matt wants a view on Reversum. Um, this is a, um, a silicon chip technology manufacturer, isn't it? Um, or uh, um, research group. It's going for a single wafer processing unit, sort of that new technology. Yeah, yeah, I must admit the technology probably escapes me a little bit, but um, this is one I chucked on my watch list either last round of reporting or, or last quarterly. Um, the main reason why I like to sort of um, keep an eye on situations like this where this came to market a couple of years ago, um, was growing revenue very fast, was also you know very heavy losses. And you're in a market that was good for that. And as long as the growth was strong, the market would reward you and you're probably able to raise capital at higher prices and, and continue to grow. You obviously get a hit with COVID and some issues. And what I always like to see is at that point, a management team start to make some hard decisions about their cost base. And that's what Reversum did. And, and their annualized cost base has come from about 13 million all the way down to about 10. Revenues are starting to pick up as they've got a backlog to work into. Um, and they're, they're sort of um, aiming for, for cash flow profitability in FY22. And I think they're on a calendar year. They're a US-based company. Yes. Um, so it's on my watch list. If they've given a very wide range of guidance, 25 to 30 mil USD. If they come in sort of mid-range of that guidance, on my rough numbers, I think they're roughly break-even. Obviously, they come in at the upper end of that guidance. You might be doing two or three mil profit on a 100 mil market cap. It starts to, you know, expensive but interesting for the product and the growth they could do. Um, obviously, if they come in at the lower end of that, then they, they probably miss that guidance of break even they were looking for. And my one note is they also had some guidance for F, um, FY21, which they came in at the lower end of. So I just don't know if I'm ready to step up and, and fully just back management yet to, you know, hit numbers mm. at the higher end or upgrade or whatever. I just need to see a little bit more. It is on my watch list, though, Matt, for that reason. I like to see management teams make those hard decisions and, and recognize that, okay, previously we relied on the market for capital when we needed it. Let's become a self-sustaining business and, and not through top line growth, but through making hard decisions with the cost base. Yeah. So it is on my watch list. It is that nice micro cap. The tech escapes me. I'd have to do a bit more work around the tech, but that looks interesting and, and genuine contracts, orders, revenues coming through. So um, I, I'd say hold if you're there, Matt. And for anyone else, um, chuck it on your watch list. It is an interesting little business. Okay. Um, Claude? Well, Luke's done such a great, good job again. I, I look, I agree with um, his conclusion there. I would note... Um, in favor of the company a couple of things that make me think that it's actually one of the better little speculative um micro caps we we get to talk about is that uh basically in its most recent quarter it managed to get you know uh, operating cash flow or very close to operating cash flow break even so just um an outflow of 330 uh thousand and um the supposedly the receipts from customers do tend to like lag those revenues a bit so you know that is interesting um, because it's partly partly what it says about management, as Luke was saying, but also just because that cash flow break-even part can be an inflection point when a new type of investor starts to get interested in the stock. And if we think about, because this is obviously partly a narrative-based stock as well, right? Yeah. But if we think about the sociology of markets, as you um, get to the milestone as cash flow break-even, you open the doors to another type of new type of small cap investor more like such as uh, Luke and myself so that can be a positive time to watch a company that can be a positive time to even um, consider buying so that's that's what I think is most interesting about it um, but we'll have to wait and see whether they get over that line in the next few quarters 
Okay, hold from both of you, but on your watch list. Uh, Hannah wants a view, Claude, on Adore Beauty. Hasn't been listed for that long, only about a year and a half, I think. A pure play online beauty retailer um, uh, listed with a bang, then fell down to earth a bit and uh, recovered. What do you think of Adore? What? Well, I'm, I'm going to take that same angle that I feel like is almost a bit of the theme that I wanted to talk about this show, which is that Adore Beauty, even though it has like genuine re um, revenues and is an absolutely real business, this, when it was listed, it was absolutely, in my view, a narrative-based company. So basically, you know, it's this amazing story, like a startup in Australia run by wi uh, women for women kind yeah. of thing. And there was heaps of excitement. And... I think, you know, what happens is when you have heaps of excitement around a company, it just gets tending to get overvalued, basically, and the expectations are really high. Now, sometimes, very, very rarely, sometimes these narrative stories really pay off, right? So the people that jumped on the afterpay narrative early, they got yeah. their massive win out of that. But if you're going to do narrative-style investing, i.e. jump on the adore beauty six months after its ipo when it you know obviously it's had this big bump it's e-commerce massive advantage from COVID, all of that there's hype there's excitement what you're doing there mostly is in my opinion that is a largely narrative investing and with narrative investing you're going to have very occasionally the narrative investing works and the narrative gets matched by reality and well off we go but a lot of the time the narrative won't like it turns out in my opinion it's probably likely that Adore Beauty is, you know, has a bit of brand value, but it's mostly just like any other e-commerce um, retailer. Right. And so it shouldn't be trading much more expensive than all the other retailers, basically. And if that's true, that's why we're going to see the share price go down and language. So that's the risk with narrative investing. Sometimes it pays off, but to me, this is still a narrative investing. It hasn't fully broken the narrative yet, but I think there's a fair risk that the narrative could break. And I'd be more interested in buying it after that. Okay. All right, so I know for you. Luke, what do you think of uh, Adore? Yeah, look, that's good context from, from Claude. And, and I guess, um, you know, digging into it a bit more, talking about narratives and sentiment, um, you've also seen that pivot with these businesses and, and, and e-commerce, high-growth tech, um, you know, more speculative business models. The, the pivot has come from the market purely just rewarding revenue growth, which these businesses were giving you in spades, to now wanting to see, if not profits, at least signs that you can be a sustainable business that may scale into being a very profitable one in the future. So, you know, like Satire came out yesterday and was mm. off 20 odd percent on what one year ago would have been a result that probably would have seen them up 20 percent, you know, tripled their revenue, um, but, but at the price of, of costs really blowing out. and. I think what's happened to e-commerce over the last, uh, call it probably year, because we had that initial COVID bump, is the market slowly realizing that it's probably not right to price these businesses like SaaS technology businesses. Even though you can run a long-term value to um, cost of customer acquisition analysis on these guys, because you know you do get return customers, churn, um, you know order sizes, all that. You get, you get all the metrics you need to calculate it. I think what that analysis lacks is returning customers often need to be one again. So just because yeah. I bought with the Door Beauty once doesn't mean I'll automatically return there to buy through them again. Um, if I'm prompted with the right piece of advertising at the right time, I may come back to them and I get registered as a returning customer, but they've had to spend that marketing to get me back. And, and that's different from a true SaaS business where once I'm on, I'm just paying my subscription and I'm in there. Um, and I think that's where Amazon, you know, everything gets compared to Amazon, I know, 
but the subscription model of Amazon is what sets them apart as an e-commerce retailer from everybody else. And so Setire, Redbubble, Kogan, you've seen it in all their results so far. And Adore Beauty will be out soon. I think on the 15th, I read. Um, I, I think you'll see the same thing. That cost of acquisition has just skyrocketed for these businesses um, as they're trying to maintain the growth. And the market's just looking past that. So I think the business actually looks really interesting. And one thing I did note is that they are trying to create that Adore Beauty brand. And, you know, they're running podcasts. There's an app that has like education tutorials. They're trying to create, you know, a place where Adore Beauty is more than just an e-commerce retailer. That That's, there's, there's something there. And, and I think it's a business that at the right price, I would be interested in owning. I just don't think that price is now. I don't think that sentiment's now. I would yeah. I would probably hold if you're there. I wouldn't buy it at least until you see this this next half year report. I, I would definitely need to see that before I, I even um, thought about stepping in and, to buy it right now. And look, we have great retailers in this country, don't we? You, you look at JB Hi-Fi and, you know, with a mixture of online and, uh, and foot traffic, um, you've got to throw these online retailers into that general retail sector. Uh, don't you, and see how well they're run. And, and, yeah, and the yeah. multiples, I think JB Hi-Fi is still only on a multiple of 15 or 16. Yeah. I About a year ago, I actually um, penned a, a blog post about physical retail versus online, and I sort of made this point that I found it odd that the the physical guys were actually seeing some real tailwinds behind their business where you had some you know, increased consumer spending, foot traffic was still good in Australia, but the um, the rents they were able to negotiate with these landlords mm. were coming down. You see that solely Lua Premier, like yeah. the hard line is pushing yep. on rents. <laughs> Whereas you open up a Redbubble, a Kogan, a, um, a Door Beauty, you open up their, their their rent, in inverted commas, is going up. It's the rent they pay to Google and Facebook. And the yeah. Google was up, yeah. what, 7 8% the other day. That's where that's where mm. you know all of all of the um, the incremental sort of spend is, yep. is going, and so I found that interesting dynamic a year ago, and that sort of played out over the market. Um, I agree. Like I think physical retail, there's things that are moving parts to that, but I'd probably focus there over the e-commerce guys right now, anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's recap the first five stocks. Uh, our stock of the day, REA, um, a buy from both Claude and Luke for blue chip investors as part of a diversified blue chip portfolio. Uh, Stealth is um, on their, their their watch list, but a bit too early for them to get involved. Hold on Spirit, um, Arizona, Lithium and No from both. Um, Reversum on the watch list again, uh, and a hold, and uh, a hold on Adore Beauty from Luke, uh, a No from Claude. Uh, here on the call, we have our own fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July. Let's see how it's performing up for, for the week. We're up uh, 4.5%, the month down 7% um, since the 1st of July 2021, up 3% since inception on the 1st of July 2020, up 39%. Uh, before we get into our next five stocks, a bit of an update on the calls portfolio on the 1st of March will be launching a brand new portfolio, a live fund that's high conviction uh, with a much smaller basket of stocks. Now, how's that going to work, you're asking? Well, we'll still be taking your requests and covering 11 stocks every day. It doesn't change. Asking our expert panel for a buy, hold or sell on them all. So consider that the first filter. If the stock gets a unanimous buy or sell recommendation, it goes through to the investment committee, which will meet monthly that committee will decide whether to add or remove stocks from the fund. 
and, and looking at things like changing the weightings and the like. Uh, the whole point of this is to give you more insights into how experts think about portfolio construction. So each month there will be an extra edition of the call where we take, take you inside the investment committee's meeting. Uh, you'll see how the funds tweaked, how the investment committee thinks about all the information and the decision making. Uh, for example, if they have an issue on a particular company, we might bring in the company's CEO to uh, answer um, to the investment committee some of their questions on whether it should be in the portfolio. So keep sending in your request. Current portfolio will stay as it is until the end of February and then we'll unveil the initial fund on the 1st of March. So it's going to be an interesting extra step, I reckon, in the development of the call and what we do here each day and also the fantasy portfolio. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, coming up in this half hour of the call, we're going to take a look at Corum, DeLorean, uh, Sequoia Financial, Firebrick, Pharma, uh, a new listing, only about a week old, and Gnosis. Um, so let's kick it off with Corum and Claude. I think you've got an interesting Corum. You know about this pretty closely, a software development company that is focused on, on pharmacies. Yeah, that's right, David. Uh, so the I own shares in this one. Uh, it's actually not, it's a bit of a turnaround story. So it's uh, not a great quality business as we speak right now. But what it does have is, you know, um, the potential to be a great quality business because uh, what it does is it provides um, software to pharmacies, uh, many around Australia, um, and also connects them with their ordering of various uh, pharmaceutical products. So connects them between distributing companies that, um, distribute products into pharmacies and the pharmacies then ordering those products um now you obviously the reason that i like it is because um these when they run well and they're growing these software companies um can be very sticky and, and it certainly is sticky right um but uh it's just not growing and and so as a result of that you know if we put it really simply because it's not growing it trades on less than four times its um software it's healthcare software revenue but um even though it has you know it, it made a profit it, a small profit and it's cash flow you know sustaining it has over six million dollars cash in the bank it's not in any threat of going out of business but it's just not growing so it has that super low multiple and that the, the management needs to go in there and turn it around and get it growing and the bad news is that the ceo that was doing that has just recently resigned um from the company and you know, obviously, that's right before the next the next results getting released in February. So that makes me think that the February results um, might be not not very pleasing and and may not show the growth that we're looking for. And in which case, the short term prognosis for this stock is, uh, you know, it's it might the share price is likely to go down a little bit if that's the case in those results. Um, having said that, I'm not selling my shares. I'm holding on to my shares. Um, I could actually even see myself buying more shares if the result is mm. actually decent and the share price goes down. Um, I still like this long term and I still hold it. 
But um, the problem is these turnarounds take a few years because um, the software previously was not like sig significantly kept up to date. It wasn't worked on properly. So it's quite a lot of work to go and refresh all of that software, make it better, and then get to, job, get to the job of selling it and getting the growth going and, and winning market share again. And they're not yet there yet. Obviously, if it does become a growing software stock that's profitable, it's going to have a way higher multiple of revenue than it currently has, I think. But right. um, it's just not there yet. So that's the okay. risk. All right. A hold and you might top up. Uh, Luke? Yeah, look, um, Claude outlined the product and, and everything very well. He owns the business and, and knows it. Um, I thought it, it, it's a very interesting one. And, and as Claude pointed out, I, I don't own it, but I've had it on my watch list for a while. And you sort of just wait for these turnarounds and they always take a little bit longer than what you hope or expect. And, um, you know, there's always sort of two steps forward, one step back and, and things like that. So it, it's about 40 mil market cap. Last year did, you know, 2.2 mil profit. So it's not crazy expensive, about 19 times, 18, 19 times earnings. Um, first quarter, that core healthcare software. I think Claude maybe sold them a bit short. They did 11% growth. You know, it's not you know not hyper growth, but it's it's something. Um, <laughs> He's always been a hard marker. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you are if your stocks you own. Like you're more likely to, to, to be harsher on them than ones you don't. I find that myself. Um, and if those margins maintain, which that's a bit of a question mark, because as Claude said, if you're reinvesting back into your product or into growth, maybe the management have made a decision to sort of sacrifice short-term profits for a bit. Um, but, you know, there is a world where if I'm being generous to this business and sort of say you've got a bit of excess cash on the balance sheet, a bit of growth into FY22, that multiple could be falling down to sort of 15 times earnings, which, um, that, and, you know, that's that's profit, not not revenue. And that's, that's a very sort of market solid uh, multiple for what should be a capital light business moving forward. Um, so I do all that work and, and sort of was quite positive on the business and, and probably lean towards a buy for the, for the program today. And then I hit mm. what Claude just outlined, the CEO resigning. And... When I went back and looked at him coming into the business, he was obviously brought in as a turnaround specialist. So it may not be an immediate red flag. It could well be he thinks that core turnaround of just stabilising the business, um, getting it back to a, a cash flow profitable and a self-sustaining business model. He's, he may believe he's done that sort of work and now it's up for the next person to come in and drive growth. If I could answer that question and, and maybe you know a call to management or, or the next quarterly, there may be some more information about it. I could definitely, you know, come back and own this. I think sort of just following on to what Claude said, you know, on that next quarterly, it'll, it'll shed a lot of light on those issues. So you know, I think I've said this three or four times now, but definitely watch list, watch list this one if you're in that right. micro cap space. Um, and hold you know, it. Profitable, growing. If you're there, hold it. I wouldn't sell it. Um, and, and definitely okay. keep an eye on it because if those things aren't as, you know, if that red flag's not as big as what I think, then that's definitely one you can own. Okay, excellent. Uh, Daniel wants a view on DeLorean. Daniel, I love this question because you've worked these two out. He goes, I like Claude and Luke's thoughts on DeLorean. It's in Luke's wheelhouse. It's a micro end in the market. And because it's ESG, environmental waste management, it's Claude would be an ally as well. So he knows you two backwards. Uh, Daniel says, from what I can see, they were making money prior to coming to the market and now expanding, but I have concerns about having three parts to the business and running all of them well. They, they collect food and organic waste uh, from industrial and agricultural streams, local markets and the like, and they turn it into biogas, um, which I can see why he reckons it's in your ESG wheelhouse, Claude. Uh, what do you think of DeLorean? 
well, he's of course spot on, and I'm absolutely <laughs> cheering uh, for these guys to succeed because yep. if they can, um, you know, basically just do the, the do that recycling, they're looking at the, all the organic waste in Australia and saying, look, there's heaps of organic waste here, and we can make use of it. You know, I would really love to see them um, succeed, <laughs> and like I could see myself lowering my investment hurdles a little bit to try and get on board um, this kind of business. But the thing is that. Um, you know, actually, so what their sort of core original business is, it was like EPC contracting, which is where, you know, they sign a contract to build, a, you know, biogas facility for somebody and, and get them sorted out. And the problem is, as probably the regular viewers would guess, you know, this is just too, like, what I'm looking for is recurring revenue, sticky customers, it keeps growing, um, low need for capital, not um, lumpy risk. I like smooth growth, um, always upwards, but... Because it's like uh, project-based and, and lumpy, you know, you actually saw in the last report revenues were lower, right? And even though there's like this big long-term opportunity um, for, for these guys to go and um, set up a lot of this stuff, uh, the problem is, you know, somebody else needs to have the money and the, and the desire and all the planning approvals and all of this stuff. You need to do all of that to, to get it up and running. And now, of course, they're going into um, developing their own kind of um, projects which is not a terrible idea and I wish them every luck and that may be the key to their eventual profitability. Right. But the, you know, the problem is they're not there yet. And what I would be looking for is them to have a couple of their own successful projects that are, that are um, pushing out a more regular profit. Um, and then they would sort of be more getting, that would be the like approving out of the business and a de-risking that I'd be looking for. So um, for me personally, um, it just doesn't fit the business quality that I'm looking for. But I, it could get there one day, and I hope it does. And 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 it's definitely got that long-term tailwind in the term in terms of the fact that you know it would be better for the planet if we did have more of this sort of system. Yep. Okay, uh, you had a better expression on your face and explanation. I will never forget when you uh, last time you were on, you analysed Whitehaven coal and the look on your face, and you said because millennials <laughs> are going to come and crush them and crush yep. them in the future. And even I started to get a bit scared. When well, David, I, had, I have to apologise to one um, viewer who wrote in to me and said, Claude, it's not just millennials that are coming after them. Some boomers <laughs> are coming after them too. And I had to say, you know what, ma'am, you're correct. But the way you would crush them, I'd uh, never want to get on your bad side. Uh, Luke, what do you think of DeLorean? Um, this is one I'd actually never looked at. It's a pretty recent listing. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think it's really interesting. And, and Claude did a good job of outlining that pivot in the strategy. I think that's a, a good pivot to make. Um, it does sort of change the profile of the business, though, because um, as um, Daniel outlined, this was a profitable business while it was private. It's now listed and, and that change in strategy to, to a build, own, operate model. So you're not yeah. just building a biomass gas plant for a customer and then you know off you go. You now you do that as, at a lower margin, but you own that plant, you operate that plant, and there's you know as Claude looks um, outlined, this can be a, a very uh, fantastic business model in the future when you may have you know a dozen or so of these plants around the country, and you're just clipping that that um, ongoing yeah. retail of energy. Um, look, despite you know being profitable and and sort of investing into the the strategy pivot, 
I don't actually think this business will pivot to a, a loss-making business. I, I think profits may be, may be flat, um, and maybe you're just seeing that churn you know, in the shareholder base until you, you see the actual reported growth um, resume. Yeah. But there was a, a lot to like the more I look. Like founders still own 50% of the business. Um, the former managing director of Tox Free Solutions, who was bought by CleanAway, um, he sits on the board. Um, there is a fund who's who's selling. Um, so you've seen their substantial holding notice twice. So there's, you know, some that, that's probably why you see that chart just sort of capped at yep. um, around 20 odd cents. Look, I, I, I'm keeping this theme. I'm sorry, Koshi, but definitely like keep this one on your watch list. Daniel, if you're there, I, I think you hold it. Um, as right. Claude says, um, especially if that sort of ESG investor and you want to be a part of, you know, supporting these businesses, I, I think definitely hold it. This is one, I, you know, we all want to see yep. what they're doing grow and succeed into the future. But even from a, you know, shareholder financial point of view, I think there's a lot to support owning this okay. business. It probably takes FY23, FY24 before you see it come through in the numbers. And that's probably the inflection where you see the share price really recover. So sit tight, watch it until then if you're not in there. Definitely right. hold it if you are. And, and yeah, really love what they're doing. All right. Thank you, Daniel, for sending that in. Guys, we'll have to pick the pace up a bit. Three more stocks to go. Uh, running out of time. Haley wants a view. Luke on Sequoia Financial Group. Um, uh, again, another one of these investment platforms for uh, accountant superannuation funds. Um, what do you think of Sequoia? Yeah, these guys, they offer like a complete solution around wealth management, you know, insurance, yep. self-managed super funds, acquired a legal practice around the administering of self-managed super funds and, and um, you know, investment vehicles. Um, it, it's a very cheap business. Trades on my numbers about 10 times FY22 looking forward a little bit. There's a bit of modest growth assumption in there. Um, some some big targets targeting 400 mil revenue by 24-25 off a base of 116 million last year. So I'm guessing they're planning on some more acquisitions just to flesh out either geography or maybe product suite. Uh, but this is a management team that's proven they can do that. So, you know, I, I don't sort of um, negate them for that. One thing I do like about this business, and, and a few people have highlighted this in the past who are, you know, uh, respect as investors, they have a business called Morrison Security, which is a, a clearinghouse. Now, you know, what value you want to ascribe to that is sort of what you do as an investor when you're looking at the balance sheet of yep. a business, but it's a competitor to like an open markets or a FinClear, which Magellan owns 15% of. So open markets looking to IPO, if Magellan does something with that FinClear holding, that might pr might provide a nice little valuation comparison to what Morrison's has got within Sequoia. Right. Okay. Um, I actually say buy, Koshi. I think okay. it's nice and cheap. It's growing. I, the one risk you've got is it's tied to capital markets, which yeah. are we going through a period now where markets are choppy? But that could be your opportunity. I think longer term, I, I, I like this business and I like this management right. team. Uh, Claude, um, you're in it as well. Yeah, so I, I do own some shares. And, and since we're saving on time, I disagree with what uh, Luke said. But I will add, you know, certainly I think that the that the board or at least, um, you know, some of the founders of this company are, are pretty talented in this uh, environment. So for me, it's a little bit of, of a jockey bet. And then the other thing is, that um you know directors have been buying at at 67 68 cents on the market not so long ago and um that that sort of uh, could be a signal to me that i was like oh i'm still i'm still happy with the sort of current price and i yeah so for that reason like i remain bullish at myself i could see myself buying more of this it adds a little mm. bit of diversity to my portfolio in the sense that yep. it's a cheaper stock it's not a high growth um hot stock it's, it's more of a cheaper stock and pays a little dividend too so I like okay. it, yeah, this price. All right. Um, let's go to Firebrick Pharma. David wants a view on that. Firebrick 
uh, only listed last week. Um, it's developing a nasal spray for called um, Nasadine um, for people with colds to try and treat the common colds. The founder of, of this um, actually invented the Betadine um, throat gargle. And this is the new product which they floated. IPO'd at 20 cents, got up to 75 cents at one stage. Um, uh, Claude, what do you think of Fibric? Yeah, so Fibric um, come across my uh, desk, I guess, because people started telling me that it was going to ha- somehow help um, treat COVID or whatever. And I think that that's the sort of hype story that I'm not saying the company's saying that. I, I'm no. just saying that I've seen anonymous people on social media saying that. And um, I don't think that's right. And so I read no. a bunch of the studies that they were sort of relying yeah, it's for, on. Whatever, it's for the and, cold, for a cold. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't, but it's also not approved. Like it doesn't have approval for that. It's, it's, just, the, it's just the idea of a, the idea of a, a thing really. Um, and they're going to do trials and, and there's a lot of excitement about that. But um, I, I don't think that it's going to, I don't think that it's going to be a great solution. Um, you know, the trials, the kind of thing they're talking about is people like, spraying themselves in the mouth with you know an antiseptic every four hours um to get you know what my non-scientific expert understanding is not not a super great advantage in life um so uh, it doesn't have a product there at the moment for sale and uh maybe one day it will uh i think the other important thing to note is that um if you look in your concept um account uh, account or whatever you might see that its market cap is about 60 million dollars but what you've got to remember is there's a bunch of escrowed shares that are not yet listed on the market which that data provided does not um show up in the actual account so actually its market cap is over 90 million dollars when you include all the shares um so that could lead some people who are just beginners to uh, make a mistake there on their valuation to me it looks very richly valued for a a not particularly good uh story so i'd say it's probably in my view the, the worst stock that we've discussed today okay all right, Luke. Uh, if the Betadine uh, throat gargle was in there, that'd give us some revenue, I uh, should imagine. But um, it's come from the same founders. What do you think? Yeah, I'll give you a positive and a negative, Koshi, when I open up the prospectus for this one because it's obviously only been listed a week. Um, the the positive is the two founders continue yep. to own twenty percent of the business and are ex- escrowed for two years. So you know they, they obviously believe what they're doing. The negative was this business, uh, this product has been through clinical trials back in 2019 and failed. Uh, and yeah. I, I read the prospectus thinking, okay, have they switched the compound or you know done something to, to now bring it to market? And they haven't. And I, I I don't understand that. And maybe maybe they're looking to market this product not as a um, a cure or a prevention for the common cold, but just a you know reduction of treatment. symptoms like most mm. medication is a treatment. Um, but that gets down a tricky path where now you're going into the consumer medicine space where you're playing with you know other products, big pockets and, and distribution into, into places becomes an issue. So I agree with Claude. I think you've had a good pop on the IPO. Um, I, I probably wouldn't be rushing into this one. I think they're okay. a long way from where they want to be. Okay. Uh, and our final stock, uh, Luke Phillip wants a view. Is it Gnosis with a, uh, with a silent K? Um, saying, what's your opinion? It's testing four cents. Uh, they're aiming for growth and a back cash flow negative last quarter with increased spending. Are you worried about it? Uh, this is a question from Philip. Uh, it's a, pro- uh, a productivity SaaS software uh, company. Yeah, look, Gnosis, 
for disclosure, I um, own this business at Meriwether Capital and um, actually bought some after the last quarterly, just a, a little bit more of a top up. Um, I, I, I pronounce it Gnosis, Koshi. Gnosis, but, uh, yeah. It doesn't really matter. Um, look, I, I think Phil sort of outlined a good point there. They did go into cash flow negative in this quarter, but that's, that's more a reflection just on the lumpiness of their cash receipts. They've got a couple of big customers who provide their, their upfront annual subscriptions in um, the first quarter and the third quarter. So you see this natural lumpiness to receipts. Right. I, this business is actually similar to Quorum we discussed before. Bit of a turnaround. It's not the fastest growing business in the world. It's roughly break even, and, and you know because of that, trades very cheap on an on an ARR multiple basis. Um, you know, for me, I, I think there were some things to like in that last report, which is why I did do a little bit of a top up. Signed mm. some new customers, grew their ARPU with their existing customers, showing some you know good traction with their product. Um, I think they'll be roughly break even just because management sort of flag. They do want to invest to try and drive that little bit of growth. Yep. But look, they gave you 10% growth in, in recurring revenue quarter on quarter. That's pretty solid. And, and you need to see that continue for this share price to really re-rate. But, you know, it's, it's one where I actually I like the management team and, and, and I know I'm there early and sometimes being there early is no different to being wrong. It, it can play out that way. But it's one where I'm sort of backing this management team and hopefully that growth trajectory can continue okay. in the next few quarters. And, um, so you've got you got to really re-rate. Definitely a spec buy, small position okay. for Meriwether Capital, so I wouldn't have it as a large one, but um, okay. yeah, a, a cool. nice little software business. Cool, buddy. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely Luke's quorum, you know, um, that the early in the turnaround story. <laughs> uh, look, I will say this one is a little cheaper than than quorum, so um, potentially uh, that's a positive there, and uh, based on revenue, of course, I'm talking. Um, but but the other thing is that it's also less focused, so with. With Corum, it's more just about this healthcare software for pharmacies, sure. whereas these guys have Green Orbit, Libero, and the knowledge management system. And they all have sort of slightly different style products, size of the product, cost of the product. And even though there's some commonalities, they're also different customers. So um, that's probably the disadvantage that turns me off it. And that's why I, right. I'm just a little bit less bullish on it on the stock than Luke okay. is. And, and I don't own it and I have it as a whole. All right. Uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for joining us on a Friday. Thank you very much. It's great fun. Uh, uh, Luke Merriweather, always great to have you aboard as well. Thank you, Koshi. Good on you guys. Um, they're terrific, aren't they? Both of them. Um, and uh, I love the way they analyse for different types of investors. Let's recap uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Corum, a hold from both. DeLorean, a hold from Luke. It's on his watch list and no from Claude Sequoia, a yes from both of them, Firebrick, a no from both of them, and Nossus, a, uh, a spec buy from Luke, and a hold from Claude. Um, that's all we have for today. If you've got uh, want us to cover any stocks you're interested in, uh, put them in an email, thecall.ausbiz.com today, or tweet us using the at TV handle. Check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.